I'm Rob Skinner, and this is the Rob Skinner Podcast. Today on episode 100, I share the second lesson I did for church leaders in the UK, Ireland, and the Nordic countries. I talk about how to get what you want, you have to change who you are. Jesus and Paul's secret master plan to win the world, and how I put together my magnificent seven. All this and more on the Rob Skinner Podcast. Welcome back to the Rob Skinner Podcast. My goal is to inspire you to live a no regrets life, make this life count, and multiply disciples, leaders, and churches. Today is a huge day. It's the 100th episode of the Rob Skinner Podcast. It's been a little over a year since I started the podcast, and I'm so grateful for you taking the time to listen. Your support has meant so much to me. In fact, I want to do something special to thank you for your support. I'm going to give a free book to the first 100 people who contact me in June of 2021. And here's how you can get your free book. Go to robskinner.com and go to the contact tab in the upper right corner. Send me an email with make this life count in the subject line. Type in your name and mailing address. Let me know which book you'd like, how to plant and grow a church, or courage, how to make this life count. And then please let me know two things. What you'd like to hear in the next 100 episodes. And two, who you'd like me to interview in the next 100 episodes. For those outside of the U.S., I won't be able to send you a book. But if you email me with the same information in the month of June 2021, I'll give you a shout out in coming episodes. This is the second and final lesson I did for the UK, Ireland, and Nordic staff. I talk about Jesus' plan to win the world and how you can follow that plan. I also talk about what I've started doing to imitate Jesus and Paul by building my magnificent seven. Welcome back to class number two, that they might be with him and that he might send them out to preach. I want to talk to you today because to get what you want to grow in the ministry, you'll have to change who you are. To get what you want, you'll have to change who you are. I have a long list of goals and dreams. I am a total goal person, a dreamer. I've got a dream. I want to see 10 churches planted. I want to plant 10 churches in the next 10 years. I want to see 10 evangelists appointed, women's ministry leaders in the next 10 years. I'd love to write 10 books. I want to reach out to and convert 10 professional couples. That'd be amazing. I mean, I just sit there and think, I sit at my desk and I dream about it. Go, That'd be incredible. I just think, what would my perfect life look like? I dream of the day of the University of Arizona having 100 fired up, sold out 
disciples on campus. And I think about all these plantings in the church having over a thousand disciples among them. I go, wouldn't that be incredible? I, I think about a day when we could have 10,000 people at the local uh, basketball stadium, just a big worship service, a long line of baptisms, just baptisms, 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 having a special worship. And I dream of the day for our family of churches to see us grow from 100,000 to a million disciples. I mean, these are things I just sit there and dream about. But the more I dream about them, came to me one day, I thought, that's never going to happen. Who you are now will never get that done. And I realized I'm going to have to totally change who I am, the way I think, what I do, the way I behave, if I'm ever going to even approach these pie-in-the-sky dreams. I'm going to need to think differently. I'm going to need to act differently. And it makes me think, I'm going to have to think like Paul did. Because Paul said, imitate me as I imitate Christ. In fact, that's one of my top affirmations that I repeat every morning. And repeat through the day is, I imitate Paul and multiply disciples, leaders, and churches. Just go, I go, okay, that's what I want to strive for. In fact, when I was a baby Christian at the, at the University of California, Berkeley, that just struck me one day. I was having a quiet time. I thought, man, I'd love to live a life like Paul. I would really like to have that kind of impact. And I'm sure you've had thoughts like that. Where you go, man, Paul's life is so exciting, so thrilling. But if I can change the way I think and act like Paul, have his faith, his peace of mind, I believe I've got a chance to see miracles happen. And it's been a dream since my early days as a disciple. This kind of concept of like who I want to become has guided the decisions in my life since I became a Christian. That, that's what led me to live overseas as a missionary for 10 years. I thought Paul would have done it. He did it. Planting churches. He was a church planter. I planted a bunch of churches. Self-supporting and professional ministry work. Paul was a tent maker. And I did that for eight years, selling real estate. Paul was a writer. I've written books, helping other leaders. Paul was constantly trying to help other people. He daily felt the pressure of all the churches. And he wrote to Timothy, helping and instructing them on how to, how to lead a church. And Titus, appointing evangelists. He, he did all those things. All of those things that I, that I do, I go, it ties back to that one decision. I want to become more like this man who is imitating Jesus. And I realized that if I want to plant 10 churches, I'll need to train a lot of guys. It's just going to take a lot of people to train. And that led me to the question, how did Jesus and Paul do it? Because if I want to see amazing things happen, i got to imitate their method. So let's take a look at Jesus' method and process for equipping and training people. In Mark chapter 3, in our, in our theme passage, it says, Jesus went up on a mountainside and called to him those he wanted, and they came to him. He appointed 12 that they might be with him, and that he might send them out to preach. What an awesome passage. Jesus had a method, or what you could call the master plan of evangelism, in a book made famous by Robert Coleman back in the 60s. And in that book, it says, men were his method. That's how he did it. That's how he won the world. He chose men to be with him and to send them out to preach. 
He had a process and he trusted that process that if he followed it, the job would ultimately get done. And guess what? It did get done. It's, it's getting done. It's hard though, as disciples and as leaders to trust that process because it's not glitzy and it's not fast. It takes a lot of time. In fact, it's a lot easier to look for shortcuts, for the latest technique, the latest app, the latest program, the latest ministry skill. And I like all of those things. It's, it's really tempting to just go, I'm going to run after this thing to build my ministry. But I love what some of the best coaches have said. And, and I, I think Bill Walsh, who's an American football coach, said it best. He said, concentrate on what will produce results rather than on the, rather than on the results. Focus on the process, not the prize. And he was a, a championship American football coach. But when you look at great coaches, now I'm only familiar with American coaches, people like John Wooden, Bill Belichick, Nick Saban, these are basketball and football coaches. One of the things that's very common is they all focus on the process rather than the prize. They focus on the the what will produce results rather than on the results. And that's why they keep winning. And that's the kind of leader I aspire to be. I want to be that way. Now, it's tough because I also want to have about a million baptisms. But if I'm going to see that happen, guess what? I'm going to have to focus on really doing things right. And that means doing it Jesus's way and doing it Paul's way. To be honest, being with people is really tough. People take time, people are messy, people get mad at you at times, people let you down. I mean, who, who I know you're just sitting there nodding your head because you go, that's, that's just my experience. It's, it's really, you pour your heart into somebody and then they just walk away or, or they yell at you or whatever. I would prefer in my sinful nature to give direction, to operate people through remote control. It's one of my hobbies. I like radio control airplanes. But, you know, it works great with airplanes. You just control, you got a little box here, do this, do that. Well, it works great for hobbies. It doesn't work great for people. You've got to be with them. You've got to spend time with them. And Jesus realized that. I decided that I'm going to need to start doing what is hard, not what is expedient. Because when we, here in Tucson, we, we grew quickly. and But then every church hits that, that plateau. And I thought, okay, not in the short term, but what am I going to do long term to see our church really grow and multiply and plant churches and get stronger? And I thought, I've got to multiply myself. I've got to do what Jesus did. What did he do? He chose young men. That's obvious. He spent time with them. He gave them feedback. He helped them to recover from failure and sin. He built a friendship with them. He gave them a vision for their lives, and he built a crew of friends around them. He had 12 guys, and they were, they were friends with one another. And that's the genesis of what I call the Magnificent Seven. In the past, in you know, past couple of years, I committed to really sharing freely what I'd learned in planting churches and leading small churches. I wrote a book on it called How to Plant and Grow a Church. I started a podcast. I looked around and I tried to spend time with people. And a year ago, our, our singles ministry was really in shambles. It was not doing that great. 
And I was like, man, this place is a mess. I had my son in it and I thought, man, he's, he's one of the few people that are strong. But now, a year later, we have seven strong young men in that ministry who are with me. And my purpose is to send them out to preach and start other churches and, and lead ministries. That's my goal for them. And I want to talk to you about how, how I've done that and what you can do to really start raising up people and multiplying the leaders in your church. I'm going to have some of those men who I've trained, both part of the Magnificent Seven and then previous ministers that I've trained, share during this video. So you're going to see clips from their sharing and what they've learned. Here's what's helped, and I want to share this with you. Choose young men. Choose young men and young women if you're a, a woman listening to this. My group is, their average age is between 24 and 33. It's a, it's a group of younger guys. They're free, they're available, and they're ready for adventure. Okay, so what you can see there is that they are young. And to be honest, if you're leading a small church like me, they're less expensive. Okay, you can't go out and buy a 45-year-old couple that has three kids. You just can't have them move into your church of, of 57 people. You can't afford it. And that's what I realized with me. I thought, I thought okay, the people I work with are going to have to be young because that's all I can afford. And a lot of them are not paid. Most of them are not paid. But I thought, okay, this is what I need. Uh, what else? Pray with people. You've got to pray with people. Last year, I, I hired a campus intern. His name was Dom. And essentially, when he came out and moved out here right before COVID, I said, we're going to pray together for an hour a day. And for the next four or five months, that's exactly what we did. We met every morning. We prayed for an hour. You've got to commit the time. And that was the biggest challenge for me is opening up my schedule and giving people the time. That helped a lot. And uh, here's David Molina. He's a, he's a person that I trained when he was when we were planting the church here in Tucson. And here's what he has to say. He leads a campus ministry in Los Angeles now with his wife. Uh, he got hired away, you know, that, that hurt, but he got hired away. Here's what he has to say about prayer. Greetings, UK family. I'm gonna share really briefly about my time with Rob Skinner in Tucson, Arizona. You know, walking with Rob and learning from him was an incredible time. One of the things that I really appreciate about the time there was that we were constantly looking to see how we could participate in the mission of God. I remember just praying, going to a mountain and praying over the city and having vision for what was to come for the people that we would reach out to. And I remember just sharing our faith and, and seeing that God was at work in each one of these times. It was a very special time. But not only was it just, you know, faith building and the excitement, but there was also moments where I remember praying intimately with Rob and asking God and seeing the challenges and feeling the pressure of trying to start a church. You know, there was both vision, faith, and excitement, but there was also vulnerability and a realness. I also, you know, remember just crying out to God and asking God for faith and for strength in uncertain times. So my time there and walking with Rob was incredible because I still, you know, were engaging in the mission of God. We were participating in what God was up to, but yet there was a, a real reliance on God and what he was up to. And we were trying to depend on the Holy Spirit. So I hope you have a great conference. Thank you for letting me share. What else? Give people the pulpit. Give people the pulpit. When I was 
planting a church in my hometown of Ashland, Oregon, I was working in real estate and it was really tough to preach every single week. So I hired an intern named Chris Schwarzenberger and we gave him a part-time salary. It wasn't a lot of money. It was $15,000 a year. It's not a lot of, not a lot of cash, but he, he was there. And I, I, I just said, listen, you got to preach every other week. And so he would preach and then I'd just be back there taking notes on a sermon. And every time, right after the sermon, I'd give him feedback. You've got to share the pulpit if you want to raise up young men who really want to preach. Because if you do all the preaching, guess what? They never get a shot at it. And that's what's fun about the ministry is preaching the word. So share the pulpit. When I think about Jesus training the disciples, I think about the times that he spent with them having meals. So much of the Gospels, notably in Luke, Jesus spends a lot of time in table fellowship, both with outsiders and insiders uh, in his, his training circle. And I think I saw this played out so powerfully in my life, in my training, when I was living in Ashland, Oregon uh, with Rob and Pam. Uh, every Tuesday night before I was married and after I was married and when I had kids, we would go to the Skinner's house. We'd share a meal together. We'd sit around the table with their family. We'd uh, go through a family devotional with the entire family as if, as if we were just part of it. It was in those times that we built deep bonds and deep relationship that couldn't have been built in any other atmosphere or time or space. Uh, we became part of the family. In a recent trip to Tucson, spending time with the Skinners, we reminisced about memories that only families share. It was almost as if we were uh, kids, just like their kids. And we shared the same stories and mannerisms and expressions and, and memories. And it was so powerful uh, to the dynamic of our relationship. And that influenced my way of doing ministry today and how I lead my family and who I invite into my home and how we spend that time and the importance that table fellowship, the importance of gathering around for meals and sharing life, not just discipling or training, but sharing our lives together, how powerful that is in really raising up disciples. We saw it in Jesus. He did it with the 12. He had an open table policy with those who were seeking God. And it does us great uh, disservice not to do that. We need those times of fellowship, face-to-face, -face, sharing in meals, sharing our family, sharing those experiences together. And it's a powerful lesson I learned uh, in Ashland in those times with the Skinner family. What else? Give people feedback. I've just talked about it, but one of the interns that I'm training right now is named Brian Mackey, and he's going to be leading the church to Flagstaff, Arizona here starting June 1st. So I had him preach this last Sunday, and immediately, I didn't wait till our D, D time. Right after he finished, right after the service was over, I just went through. Here's all the good things. Here's the things you can do better. And he appreciated it. He really appreciated the feedback. You've got to give people feedback. People want to know, how am I doing? Am I getting better? I remember the first time I preached in a campus Devo. turned out that Frank Kim was sitting there. And afterwards, I asked my campus minister, I said, what did Frank think about my lesson? And he said, you need, he said, Frank said, you need to learn how to preach. <laughs> well, that's the feedback I got. I started listening to sermon tapes and I eventually got a little bit better. But you need to give feedback for young people. They want to hear, here's what you need to grow in. Hi, my name is Brian Mackey. My wife, Abby, and I I've just moved to Tucson about a month ago to spend time with Rob and Pan before we uh, actually moved to Flagstaff at the end of this month to plant the church in Flagstaff. 
we're super excited for it. And it's only possible really one with God, but, but two with people who have encouraged us and given us the confidence that we can do something great for God. I, I also really want to speak quickly on just this magnificent seven group that Rob has put together. I think he put it together really to uh, get the church back up on its feet after uh, just a hard hit from COVID, uh, not with sickness, but just with the, 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 the separation of the church uh, and its people. And so he, he's put this group together to really uh, just build momentum, to, to strengthen the church and, and doing it in, in a way where, one, it's easier to do with a smaller group, but two, if you get momentum built in a smaller group, it's going to uh, expand to the rest of the church. Now, our group is all about encouraging one another uh, as we work to accomplish just a very simple goal of having 60 Bible study appointments in these 60 days, in this past month and the month ahead. And uh, it's been awesome, and we're well on our way to hitting the goal, which is so encouraging. And it's going to do, I think, great things in the church, just building it, strengthening it back up, getting it everyone to see what God can do, the vision for God has for this church here in Tucson. Uh, and, and there's also been some great side effects to this group as well. As my wife and I moved to Flagstaff in one month, uh, some of these other benefits has, has given me a lot of friendships here in Arizona. We just moved to Arizona and, and these men have really, we just bonded together in encouragement. Secondly, it's built my faith. You know, seeing great things done in the two months before I go help plant a church. I know that God's going to continue to do that elsewhere. And then thirdly, it's given me something great to just imitate. All right, I can get up to Flagstaff. I'm going to pull together a group of guys. We're going to meet for breakfast on Saturdays. We're going to uh, have a goal and a vision of what we're trying to do. And I think it's going to be amazing to see just the fruit that comes from it. So I'm really grateful uh, for this group, for, for Rob's vision, uh, and just pulling us together to see something happen. I hope you guys are having a great conference and enjoy your day. Bye. Build a united friend group. These guys are all like 30 years younger than me. But one thing that I've really seen is they all want to feel connected. Now, I don't know if this is just the younger generation, but they want a friend group around them. And so that's why I started this Magnificent Seven. It's, you know, it's an old Western made during the 60s. I think they redid it in 2016. But I thought, I'm going to be friends with them, but they're also friends with each other. Young men and women are looking for connection and training. And that's what I try to provide for them. And it's awesome because they love to hang out. They love to be together. And they're so encouraged. And it builds a spiritual dynamic that provides inspiration for the entire church. Every Saturday, I meet with them. I make them a pancake breakfast. It's really cheap, but we built, we pray together. I usually do a short lesson, and then we have some discipling going on. I'll show you some sharing right here. Hello from Tucson, Arizona. My name is Ev Mejia. I wanted to share a little bit about how the Magnificent Seven has encouraged me and inspired me. I think there's nothing like being around other men and it reminds me of why Jesus had this um, his 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 12 disciples with him I just feel some sense of support and encouragement and just community and support 
uh, I know that I'm not alone, that there's other guys that are also fighting the same battle. And um, it's so, so inspiring. Some of the things that we've been able to do is take trips together. And it's just been an incredible time where we can just spend several days and just build memories um, and, and, and share our lives with each other. Uh, share our joys, but also our sadness. And it's just been such an amazing time. My name is Nicholas Rivera Morais, and being part of the Magnificent Seven has been exactly what my heart has needed. It's just been an amazing time in my life spiritually. You know, through the pandemic, it was easy for me to get complacent and just coast. But being here now, recently moved to Tucson and being a part of this group has just called me higher to a deeper commitment to Jesus and, and to the mission. It's just been awesome just having bigger dreams than what I would have ever had before and just going after bigger challenges than what I could have even imagined and doing it with other brothers who are just as committed to the gospel and to their relationship with God and Jesus makes it all the more special. Hello, my name is James Skinner and I am part of the Tucson Church of Christ Singles Ministry here in Tucson, Arizona. I have the privilege of also being part of the Magnificent Seven. To be honest, when it was first formed, I was very overwhelmed because I knew in my heart that this would push me out of my comfort zone. I had grown very comfortable going to work, working full time here at home, and then watching Netflix, maybe talking to that disciple here and there, and then repeating. My, my life didn't show a lot of excitement and I was not expecting a lot from God. But being a part of this group, being a part of like-minded people, surrounding myself with people who are humble and eager to learn has propelled my faith and has raised the expectations that I put on myself and also the expectations that I'm putting on God on what he can do even during a pandemic. I appreciate these brothers so much. I am so encouraged and I'm looking forward to what God will continue to do here in Tucson. Hi, my name is Felipe Moraes, and I love being a part of the Magnificent Seven. Besides having a cool name, I love the brotherhood and the camaraderie we have in striving after God's mission together and really pursuing God's calling for our lives. We all in this group want to make the most of our lives, want to make the most of the time that we have. And so just striving for that mindset together, egging each other on in that way, I think really bonds us as a unit. So I love that. And I think something that I'm learning from this group and from Rob Skinner is to take risks. I, I look at Rob and he's doing something that not a lot of people are thinking of doing right now, planting a church in the middle of a pandemic. And we're striving after that and supporting that together. That's amazing. And I think for me, I'm thinking about how can I take risks in my life, being secure enough in God's grace that I can take risks and, and strive to make the most of my life in that way. So that's something I'm taking away from the group right now. Hey everyone, my name is Dom Munson and I currently uh, for the past year have been leading the campus ministry at the University of Arizona. And uh, I am have been lucky and privileged enough to be part of the awesome and great Magnificent Seven group that I'm sure you're gonna hear so much about from Rob Skinner. Uh, it's been awesome to be trained by Rob this whole past year and to uh, have a team of guys who just really love Jesus 
and who really want to be held accountable and to hold each other accountable uh, to really promote the gospel and, and advance the, the gospel's cause. And it's been really awesome to be part of this group. I feel so sharpened, as the Proverbs say, the iron sharpens iron. I feel like the guys in this group have really been iron for me, and I've been a lot sharper in my spiritual walk and my love for Jesus and in the mission because of the guys uh, that I've been able to have in this group and the friendships I've been, been able to cultivate through it. So I hope uh, everything that Rob has to say and everyone else in the Magnificent Seven, uh, that anything we say is in- inspiring to you and that it really encourages your faith and that God does great things through you and the groups that are formed around you as well. What else can you do? Schedule a men's retreat. Men need concentrated time to build friendships. This is where guys are so isolated. I think women, and I hate to generalize, but women are much better at making connections, forming friendships. But you as a leader have got to create the environment where guys can build friendships. That's where a men's retreat can make a huge difference. Now, I have to beg people. I have to plead with people. I have to work for a long time to get people to show up. But just three weeks ago, we had a men's retreat, and I got 47 guys to show up. Now, it wasn't just my church. It was other people uh, locally, a neighboring church, and then from other churches, even San Francisco and up in Oregon. But, man, it was incredible. Men need that concentrated time because in 48 hours, you can create an environment where they're building relationships without kids, without anything else, and they're, they're making friends. More can be done in one weekend than you can imagine. It's more fellowship than most guys get all year long. And so you got to honor the, the culture of men. What, are the, what do guys need? We have games. We have prayer. We have preaching. We have lots of food. And we have a ton of laughter. It's great. Guys just let down and they connect. It's so powerful. Everyone who goes goes, man, that was amazing. Beforehand, they're like, eh, I don't think I'm going to go. Then they go and they go, that was amazing. That's the kind of experience you need to create. What else? Take your disciples away on retreats. Now, this is separate from a men's retreat. What I'm talking about is the people you're training individually. Jesus walked and he took them up to the mountain. He took them away by themselves to be with him. And that made memories. Think about all the times where he took them up to the mountain or to Caesarea Philippi. And I try to schedule a retreat at least once a quarter for bonding and for prayer. It's amazing. I I love it. And it it, it helps the guys so much. We, We do fun things like backpacking. We do camping. We do surfing. We do a bunch of different things. But it connects me with them. And it's a spiritually concentrated time to make a difference in their lives. Jesus did it, and I thought, if it's good for him, it's definitely good for me. When you're doing that, make your time spiritual. I have all of the guys who are going on these retreats to lead a devotional, five-minute devotional. I offer, Everyone gets an, a personal introduction. They get all fired up, say, this brother's blah, 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 you know, just really pumps them up, and then the brother runs out, and he gives a devotional. We pray together. We have a theme word for all of our retreats. One time it was Jesus. One time it was the Spirit. One time it was faith. Every time you heard that word spoken during the retreat, you got to give knucks to, knuckles to the people around you. And just a fun thing to just keep it spiritual. Keep the theme focused on God. What else? Share your passion with your disciples, with the guys you're working with. Like I shared, I love to surf. 
I love to dive, scuba dive. I love to ride motorcycles. I love to backpack and camp. I love a lot of guy stuff, love to read. But I try to tie those things together, the things that I love with spending time with these guys. And so during COVID, we've gone surfing and, and we baptized a guy at the beach, we've gone camping, we've gone hiking, we've done all sorts of things together that are fun, manly activities that build unity and that I love doing. And so do things that you really enjoy doing. Figure out, okay, what do I enjoy doing? And then bring your guys into it. Let them be with you during those times. What else can you do? Look for the heart of a good disciple. When you're, when you're trying to pull guys into your life, look for people that have the right attitude about discipling. What do I look for? They've got to be available. They need to be fun, serving, encouraging, charming, and delightful. Not a sourpuss transparent, open with their lives, wanting to grow. Recon everyone in here needs to recognize the path to mastery. And I try to explain it to the guys. If you want to be an evangelist or a leader or a lay leader, you've got to go through the, the process of apprenticeship and then mastery. You have to train under a master if you want to become a master. I think about my time in Japan. I spent 10 years there training under Frank Kim. The guy's a master. He's an awesome guy. But spending 10 years with him, imitating him, watching him, it's helped me a ton. And I learned from other people before that. But once I came back from Japan, then I wanted to do my own thing. Then I was ready to plant churches, more churches. And you've got to explain. And if you're an intern, you've got to understand, listen, you need to train under a master. You need to be with somebody. And you've got to have the heart that says, I want to imitate. And so that, that's super, super important, something I explain to everybody. And I would strongly recommend the book Mastery by Peter Green. He talks about that. Next, give everybody a team challenge. Right now, we have a goal that we're going to do 60 Bible study appointments in 60 days. And that's something we're doing as uh, among our Magnificent Seven. And so we have a daily check-in. We meet, talk at 9 o'clock at night on Zoom. How's it going? We just 10 minutes only, really short. And we have, group, we have a group chat. And we just encourage each other. Right now, I think we're at a little over 22 Bible studies in 30 days. And that's awesome. I go, okay, that means we're on track because it's going to accelerate as time goes by. But it's so encouraging. And it's getting the guys fired up. And they're, they're pumped up because... There was very little going on prior to that, but through that jumpstart, everyone's working together on a common goal. That helps guys. Train them. What do they need to know? Give them a reading list. Give them feedback, like I mentioned. Have a time, like tomorrow morning, I want to have breakfast and then have a good point, growth point. Hey, you know, let's just say, what? ask for feedback. What, what am I doing well and what can I grow in? Just have the guys share. People want practicals. People want training. You know, one of the things that frustrates me is when we go to a conference and there's just super inspiring big picture lessons, which are awesome and necessary. But one of the frustrations I felt is I want to be told how to do it. I need practicals. What do I do? And many times I'd leave a conference going, no, how am I supposed to apply that? And that's what your guys feel too, is like, I won't, show me what to do. Tell me. Work with what you have. Sometimes you don't have a lot to choose from, let's be honest. You just don't. You, you got to just understand, okay, 
Sometimes you're not working with the, the best of the best. But I want you to consider this. Jesus changed the world using followers. Jesus changed the world using followers. Remember he said that? He said, tonight you'll all fall away on account of me. They, all the disciples, the apostles fell away for a period of time. But they got restored and he went on to change the world with them. And the people you're, you're working with, maybe they've fallen away in the past. I know I've had disciples that were kind of cast-offs from a different ministry. They even had some ministry discipline placed against them. But basically, I took them out of, out of the, you know, the second-hand pile, and I said, hey, do you want to come here? I'm desperate. I need somebody. And now they're, they're working in the ministry and doing awesome. Don't, don't be afraid. I know it's sometimes challenging in smaller ministries to go, I don't have anybody. Well, who do you have? Start there. Do your best with what you have, and maybe God will bless you. It comes down to a question. Do you trust Jesus's method or not? I've had to really think through this and realize, okay, maybe in order for me to see the church become what I really dream of it becoming, it's because I'm not having a long-term mindset enough and I'm not following Jesus's method. And I just decided I'd rather blow it by following Jesus's method, method than succeed by not following his method. And I, I'm hoping, I'm confident that by using the methods that I see in Jesus and in Paul and training young men, we're going to see amazing miracles happen in the long term. And I'm going to be surrounded by friends and I'm going to enjoy myself. You are a great person. You are a skilled person. I would guess that you are the best of, of the best, one of the most talented people in your congregation. But I want to ask you this question. What if there were two of you in your church? Maybe you got 25 or 50 in your church. What if there were two of you? Wouldn't it be amazing? It'd be awesome. You could get twice as much done. You see twice as many miracles. It'd be fantastic. So look around and focus on finding a, a promising young man. Pull them into your life like Jesus did and be with them so that they can one day be sent out to preach. Thank you very much. Thanks for listening to and supporting the Rob Skinner podcast. I want to invite you to the 2021 Small Church Leadership Conference. The theme is CLIMB. When is it? December 2nd through 5th, 2021 in Dallas, Texas. It'll be at the Marriott Las Colinas. And early registration ends June 30th. That'll be $125 per person. Please, please act soon and register today at robskinner.com. You can find the CLIMB conference tab on that. And it'll have a tab for you to go ahead and register. You register for the hotel as well as for the conference. It's going to be a great time. It's been great to have this podcast for the last 100 episodes, but I'm looking forward to meeting you in person and giving you a great big hug and just having a great time to encourage one another at the end of this year. If you're enjoying this podcast, let me ask you a favor. Hit the subscribe button and let your friends know about it and how to find it. Tell your church friends and please spread the word because my goal is to inspire you to make this life count, live a no regrets life, and multiply disciples, leaders, and churches. Have a great day and make this life count.